Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> We're tonight's entertainment. Look at my butt. Oh, look at my front butt. <laughs> slapping us around because um, we get slapped around a lot. <laughs> so, yay, men are starting to think that. However, ever, okay, you know, I don't even know the context of how he said it, when he said it, what if it was an interview, it was, was when he joking. Won, was uh, he... Okay, here's the context. It was in his interview with the sex, when he was sexiest man alive. He said... 
I've slapped my wife before. I believe a woman needs to be slapped every once in a while if she goes against her man's wishes. But then, <laughs> look how old he was when he said it's 70. He comes from them days. Okay, yes. For one thing, he comes from a completely different era. And this whole cancel culture, uh, it's as dangerous as any, it's as dangerous as Proud Boys. Because when you start canceling people because they said this one thing or this one thing that pisses you off and not everyone off, then you're canceling out an entire human being. So you're just as bad as the other people. You're an extreme. So um, I still, you know, here's here's the comparison that I like to make on something like this. Um, did Sean Connery go to jail? Did Sean Connery go up on charges? Did the police or anyone have to investigate him for these kinds of um, uh, brutal, violent attacks? Okay. On the other hand, there's a, a very famous actor named Kevin Spacey who has all the charges that are against him, people can actually prove that he did these horrendous things. Now, that is worth looking at and maybe canceling out Kevin Spacey. But you can't put Sean Connery and Kevin Spacey in the same cancel culture thing because one said offhand, he said it, and the other one actually did it numerous times, right? So you well, you can't consider slapping a woman to rape. Well, the cancer cult cancer the cancel <laughs> cancel culture. I don't think you made a movie there. Do you, Nate? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, you know. I, they they think that slapping around and raping are, are probably within this category, okay? And so the cancel culture looks at um, offenses and gathers them all up into one big box. And you can't even do that in the law. There's murder, first-degree murder, second-degree murder. There's manslaughter, yeah. second-degree manslaughter. I mean, come on. There's all these different things. But cancel culture says oh, you fucked up once and we're never going to hear from you again. So, you know, no, yeah. I don't agree I'm with that. I'm sorry. I would rather go to prison and be able to say I was slapped in the face once a day for 10 years than I was raped once a day for 10 years. <laughs> no, no, I, I, uh, my whole, I've actually, I, I got into an argument with a friend of mine who's Native American, and it was a friendly argument. We didn't, it wasn't, you know, but we were talking about cancel culture, and I agree. There are some things that we need to, you know, like, of course, the conversation started when we were talking about the need to dismiss Native American uh, names for sports teams. Like, of course, that's inappropriate. It was always inappropriate, right. but right. It's, right. It's, it's inappropriate well, now. No, you don't see the Cleveland Indians changing their name because Indians isn't a racist word. Right. But Redskins, exactly. 
Yes. That's a, no, that's yes. a naughty word. <laughs> but I, I do agree that, you know, there should be a there should be different levels to how we judge these things and but right i can't i can't agree with just okay like sure we can all look at kevin spacey for example the same example that vicky made and we can say okay so he's been accused of molesting children or underage you know people who are underage i don't think it was children per se but 17-year-old girl, that still counts as underage if you're an adult. No, not girls. Boys, but still. That's right. True, boys. Okay. It's okay. You know, it's still the same thing. Rape is rape. Yeah. yeah. But I don't think that means that uh, I agree that that he should no longer have a future in Hollywood. But what I think of when I think of cancel culture is that means deleting everything that he did before. Like, should we not ever watch The Usual Suspects again, or should we never watch Seven again, now knowing what we know about him? Um, I mean, that's, that's what I really think of when I think of cancel culture, is that we're, right. we're trying to delete these, you know, the, the good memories that we have of people who did bad things. Now, yeah, there is a... I'm here tonight to talk about the good memories. Of course he was a man's man. And if you look in each decade, the definition of what a man's man is, is different. Uh-huh. Like in the well, 70s, it was like the macho culture. In the 80s, if you're a man's man, you're Alan Alden. I, I, I don't think there should have ever been an era where it was okay to hit women but or molest children, but I mean, yeah, you're right. I mean, <laughs> I mean we well, can go I'm all the way back. I'm not molesting or hitting the woman. Is I'm just saying, you know. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, 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 I smoke a cigarette on screen. That's a hard R movie. Right? Uh, but, no, I just think uh, – uh, see – I think the definition of cancer culture should be now that we know what a nasty person you were in the past, we should cancel you from here on out, but we shouldn't negate what you gave us in the past, you know? And, and Connery walked a thin line with that because like you said, that was the interview that he did when he was sexiest man alive in the eighties. And he was like, oh, yeah, I'll slap my woman around. Like, yeah, I don't know, dude. <laughs> That's probably not something you should admit when you still have a whole lifetime of a career ahead of you, you know? Like, would you would you have still gone to see Kevin Spacey movies if he went and did an interview and he was like, oh, yeah, I love diddling underage boys. That's my favorite thing. I do it on every he movie set I'm on. It
Yeah. Right. I, I do not have a single gay but friend yeah, that I know um, of who has. I, I do not have a single gay friend that I know of who has ever touched an underage child using the I'm gay defense. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully right. I have. Ever, <laughs> hopefully, but yeah. Hopefully, not. Yeah. Them have ever Sean touched Connery, an underage child. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but we had. I wanted to get that out of the way because that's what most people are just just throwing that out there. Like, oh yeah, Kevin's fake. Oh yeah, Sean Connery's bad because he said that once. Yeah. It's right. like, did you see that Onion article that was posted? It says, man spends entire life loving, waiting for conversations about the day that John Lennon hit women. And I know that there's people who say, I've seen it on Facebook, online, just waiting for the chance to say, this person did something bad. So you can't like them right. anymore, yeah. right? Well, right. Yeah, yeah. So, well, Stephen, let's get uh, cranking talking about some Sean Connery movies. And uh, since you set this whole thing up, you're the man now. What amazes me is that his first movie that he appeared in was 1954. <laughs> Right, he, right, Paul, that's amazing. Paul, his big gear was uh, really 1959. He had two big movies come out. The first, he played the bad guy in Tarzan's Great Adventure, which is one of the better Tarzan movies, and one of the movies that Disney is embarrassed of nowadays. And I don't, I don't even think this came out on VHS. I think it came out on VHS. I'm not sure, but I know it did, and it's, Darby O'Gill and the Little People. Right. Yeah. I think it came out on VHS, but I've never seen a copy of it on DVD or Blu-ray. No. Right. But I did see it on TV. On the the Disney, you know, Sunday night thing? Long ago? Yeah, me too. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that was. And then we just get to 1962, where a low-budget movie came out based on a based on a series of books that weren't popular over here until John Kennedy said, "I like these books. I read them all the time." <laughs> no. Yeah, Doctor No. <laughs> it's amazing going back to Dr. No and really looking at it and seeing how low budget it really was. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's it's kind of crazy to see, like, especially now, obviously we're far beyond Sean Connery in the, uh, in the James Bond story arc, but... Well, we're used yeah. to James Bond as these big-budget epics. Yeah. Yeah. It is weird. It's weird to look back and watch the progression of, yeah, going all the way back to Dr. No, I mean, and then watching your way through uh, the movies. It It is kind of crazy, <laughs> like how... Well... Uh, Well, I think it's because uh, they followed the the novels more 
because, uh, you know, people love the novels, so they made movies out of the novels, and the scriptwriters took everything right out of the novels. So the movies, you know, they didn't know if they should invest in them or whatever, and we all know that. But the movies, um, from scene to scene, you know, John, um, John, uh, Sean Connery goes, or James Bond goes from uh, his, his headquarters where he gets the cool tech, you know, the science fiction part. And uh, then he goes and he does a little spying, trying to figure out whatever the story is. And then he meets the girl. He ends up in bed with the girl. I mean, it was like scene by scene by scene back in the low-budget days. And so it's completely different than how James Bond moves um, smoothly through everything, real slick-like, when when we get to, like, Roger Moore. Yeah, or now when we've got, you know, Daniel oh. Craig, where, right. where the movies start off with him surfing on a speeding train that crashes <laughs> through a wall. Or, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> What's funny is in 1963, this shows how quick the James Bond movies really progressed. Because two of them came out in 1963. One was my favorite of the Connerys, and that's from Russia with Love. Right. That that one just seems like it was the perfect mix of the gadgets and the books. Yeah. Well, for some reason, they got it right. Sorry. So you're saying uh, from the two... James Bond movies that came out in 63, you like From Russia with Love more than Goldfinger. Am I in the minority here? There's three of us, so let's vote. No. Oh, no, I like – no, no, no. He, I, were you talking about Dr. No and From Russia with Love? Or were you talking no, about – because Goldfinger is 64. Oh, yeah, from, from, from Russia with Love and Goldfinger came out in 63. Well, Wikipedia has it listed as 1963. Okay, Goldfinger, I think Goldfinger came out in 1964 because that's the first movie that I saw, first um, James Bond movie I saw in the movie theater with my dad. And I know my dad would have never taken um, me younger than I had to have been uh, like six or seven at the time, six. And, uh, And so my dad took me. And so Goldfinger, right, yeah. So Goldfinger would have to be. Uh, it's different. It's Goldfinger was done with more money. Goldfinger was actually, you know, they started putting money into the film, you know, into the yeah, the making of the film. Over. Right, and the car, right. the Austin Martin. You're right. I'm looking at my James Bond box set right now, and yeah, From Russia with Love came out in 63, and Goldfinger came out in 64. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just yeah. saying that I personally liked uh, From Russia with Love better. I mean, it just seemed to me it was the perfect balance of uh, the gadgets, which took over after Goldfinger, and and the gritty spy action. Right. Right. I agree. It was still like, like, like Vicky was saying before. It still kind of 
uh, kept the spirit of the novels, uh, but it did start to move a little more towards, uh, uh, yeah, gadgets, and, and that was a little more over the top. And I think that's why Goldfinger uh, is one of my favorites is because I think it, I think Goldfinger hit the perfect balance between the sneaky spy stuff and the crazy gadgets and, of course, the sex. Right. <laughs> right. You can't, James Bond, you can't get away from drinking martinis, um, women scantily clad, uh, a couple of really cool guns, uh, science fiction tech, and a little bit of spy stuff mixed in, you know? And lots of sex, lots of it. Come on! One of the first really great lines in the James Bond series. You want me to talk? No, Mister Bond. (laughs) I want you to die. (laughs) (laughs) Odd job with his metal hat. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's a great line. All right. And you know so how they else? usually try to bring up, uh, there's been all this in the past 10 or so years, all this, oh, Hitchcock is a misogynist. Haven't you watched this movie? How come none of them ever bring up Marnie with Sean Carnery? Yeah, well, right. Well, because it's a kind of a weird movie. That's why. That's what I think. I think yeah, Marnie's but a it's weird still movie. The one where Sean Connor or uh, Marnie has this mental condition that Sean Connery rapes out of her. Yes. Yes. Well, you know yeah. that is the Hitchcock, right? What can you say? I can yeah. um, I can watch and appreciate Hitchcock, but he was also a a, a female abuser of, of the highest order. You know, <laughs> poor Tippy Hedren. She's she she came well, out not and said it. Female. Do you remember what Hitchcock's pet name for actors was? Don't you? No. Cattle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but see, now this goes back to what we were talking about at the top of the show. Like Hitchcock right. is a director who I love, but at the same time. You know, I've heard so many terrible stories about the way he treated actors and actresses that it's like, ugh, you know, it's you have you have a hard you have a hard time rectifying it if you really admire someone, but at the same time you're like, what a shit heel this guy was, you know, like yeah. <laughs> it's just yeah, yeah exactly. And, yeah, and like like Vicky said, Tippy Hendren, she has so many stories about how how bad Hitchcock treated her, and right, um, and it it goes to yeah, the except same. that most of the stories that uh, Tippy Hendren said, everyone who's worked on the set has said that she's full of shit. Well, I don't. People I don't know. that have no stated interest in defending Hitchcock have said that she's full of shit. Yeah. But what's her name who appeared in uh, Psycho? What's her name? Um. <laughs> yeah, but Janet Leigh has yeah. no you record saying that uh, Hippie Hendren's stories is full of shit. Well, okay. 
let's look at this from another side of the mirror because we were talking about earlier how people have come forward and said, oh, this person abused me, this person abused me, and then they've got a, a, you know, a laundry line of people who are backing up their stories. We're looking back to the... We're we're looking back to the 50s and 60s where it was in your best interest to deny these stories if you wanted to continue to work in Hollywood. You know, that's true. Yeah, but most that's of the people true. that said that uh, came out and said that years after their careers were all done and they had no financial or any any reason to defend Hitchcock. Most of them said that. Yeah, but when I was in um, in college taking film classes, it was pretty well known that Hitchcock was a, a asshole. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. Well, speaking of, you know, I mean, there were rumors the, uh, long before. Uh, by Squad, have you guys ever seen By Squad? I know you have. Oh, yeah. Vice Squad, yeah. 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 Do you you remember the scene in there where, uh, what's her name, was uh, arrested? I mean, not arrested, but went to the rich, the Rick Hoffman and scared the shit out of her? Of course I remember the scene where old what's-her-name went there and did the thing. (laughs) Yeah, Susan (laughs) Hubley. Uh, that was based on Hitchcock. That was one of his picadillos. He loved to hire prostitutes and then hide in the house, and he got off on scaring the living shit out of them. <laughs> yeah, see, that, that's that freaking is, weird. That is yeah. one of the reasons why. That is one of the reasons why you know I I have to take all of it with a grain of salt because. I've read a lot about Hitchcock. He's one of my favorite directors. I've read a lot about him, and I've seen a lot of documentaries about him. And as many people who will say he was an asshole, a lot of people will say, well, that was just his technique. Like, he intentionally would scare people and try to intimidate performance out of them. But, you know, you have to look at that from the other side if, if if someone generally feels uncomfortable by the way that they're being treated, then, you know, perhaps you should back off a little bit. And as far as I can tell, that was never Hitchcock's yeah. technique. He, he didn't ever but back off. The, he, but yeah. the bigger point is that with Marnie in 1965's The Hill, you already seen... Sean Connery trying to not get typecast in the James Bond role. He said that yeah, was one of the hardest true. things about his career is not getting typecast. And if you guys haven't seen The Hill, his first film is Sidney Lumet. God, is it a good one. Yeah. We talked about this the other night. This is one of my favorites, too. Like, And I love Sidney you say Lumet, but you know you live in the South. We call him Sidney Lumet up here, but you know. <laughs> well, every documentary I've ever seen calls him Lumet. Look at however you want down south there. <laughs> but 
Yeah, have have you ever seen the hill, Vicky? I don't think I have. I'm looking Sean at Sean Connery plays a prisoner in a prisoner of war camp who gets into trouble with his commandant who's well, basically look how the law is nowadays. They abuse and treat prisoners crap and hate it when people call them out on it. Yes. It's, yeah. it's almost, you know, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I, I was no, just no, going to say, just, it's, almost, it's almost like a real-life version of the Stanford prison experiment. Uh, the, uh, the, the officers treat the prisoners poorly, and then the prisoners get pissed off and, and rise up. And it's, yeah, it's a really it good movie. And it doesn't end pretty. No, it does not end pretty. <laughs> But go ahead, Vicky. Say what and you were going to say. I didn't. I, I didn't no, mean I to. Yeah, think, go ahead, Vicky. No, no, no. I just really think I have seen this, but I probably only saw it once. There's like I'm reading the cast, and as I read like Michael Redgrave and Ozzy Davis and Roy Kinnear, I it it clicks like um, scenes in my head. So I know I must have seen it at some point, but that's all. I'm gonna have to look it up and watch it. Yeah. I mean, just look at that cast. Ozzy, like you said, Michael Redgrave, Ozzy Davis, damn. Right, right. It's a great cast, a freaking great cast. And, you know, here's the thing, um, uh, Goldfinger and then Thunderball, and uh, everyone loves Thunderball. And so that's um, 1964, 1965, 1965, 1966. I mean, uh, Sean Connery worked. He worked hard. He worked every single year. He never took a break. Yeah. He's an awesome, awesome worker. He has this work ethic. Everyone wants him to work. He's a really fine actor. And he he has a movie or two movies per year, every year or two. Um, uh, the Frightened City and On the Fiddle. Okay, that was 1961. Two movies in 1961. Two movies in ni- oh, three movies in 1964 probably means that when he did from uh, Russia with Love, he also did Woman of Straw, or yeah, Woman of Straw, yeah. but they released it in 64. So he did two in 63, two in 64, two in 65. I mean, the man just worked. It's work work. I, I wonder if he's charisma and screen presence. I kind of yeah, wonder what they we said. As, they, as the saying goes, the man that men wanted to be and women wanted to be with. <laughs> hey, I say that about myself all the time. <laughs> um, all I can say is I'm a woman and I would have been with Sean Connery any time. <laughs> Well, if you wanted to be slapped around, Vicky, come on now. <laughs> well, maybe I'd like it. Maybe I'm just one oh, of those you, women. <laughs> all right. Maybe you yeah. are. I don't know. <laughs> um, I'm kind of thinking, looking at the run of movies, though, I'm kind of wondering if Dr. No from Russia with Love and Goldfinger were all kind of filmed in the same general time period. I mean, they're all maybe. James Bond movies. Well, but, because they wanted to film Goldfinger, they changed the ending to Russia with Love, which was supposed to be yeah. 
When he fights Rosa Klebb at the end, before he kills her, she gets him with that poison knife, and it was supposed to show him as uh, James Bond fall over dead. Spoiler alert. Jeez. <laughs> no, that isn't how the movie ends, but that's originally how supposed to end because you remember they make a big deal about that coffin at the opening of Thunderball, which was supposed to be next, not uh, Goldfinger. Goldfinger, right, yeah. right. Because originally right. it was supposed to have Commander James Bond on the coffin. You're like, what's going on? James Bond's dead. And then we have that one scene and... Boom, he didn't die. They saved him in time. Which is the way the books ended. Which way the books were set up. Right. A cliffhanger. But they took uh, Thunderball because it was underwater photography. They knew that it would be more of a pain in the butt to film than Goldfinger, which they could rush out. Right. And I think that... that um leans into uh, what Vicky was saying before is that as the movies move along, they start to get more complex. Thunderball is definitely uh, more special effects oriented than some of the earlier films. Yeah. We we can talk about Goldfinger. Oh, they had to paint someone with gold paint. Okay, fine. Yeah. By the time we get to Thunderball, yeah, we're underwater now. And right, Thunderball is a whole new, a whole different thing. Yeah. Oh, and they uh, did prove in Mythbusters that yes, you can, yes, you can suffocate someone that way by totally covering them in uh, gold paint. Yeah. Well, what 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 happened to the original Tin Man in the Wizard of Oz? Right, <laughs> he got lead poisoning from the from the paint they put on him. So yeah, they oh, killed that well, tiger. Buddy, buddy, buddy by painting it, was allergic to the paint. Well, and he didn't die that, though. And then that, and then that uh, small person hung himself in the background on the. Nazi midget, but the fact that they was 
It was just like one giant party pool. <laughs> I, I, I think Ball, he did one of his weirder movies. It's pretty good. It's a fine man. It's not one of his best, but it is an odd little movie. Um, the thing that I think makes it so weird is the like the way that it uh the the film it was like like weird I I don't know I, I guess it was like Technicolor because it's got that weird glow to it. That's what oh, I yeah. Think yeah, that's what I think is real John weird Connery about it. He's not afraid to piss on his James Bond image, and I like that. That's another thing. He was willing to take a risk. Yeah. Right. And that, well, and, he didn't want to be oh. typecast. Yeah. Yeah. And that and movie was direct. First, last James Bond film, your own. You only live twice. Oh, I was just I was just gonna mention one more time before we got done talking about that. Uh yeah. um A Fine Madness. That was directed by Irvin Kirshner, who later directed The Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. Ah. A Star Wars movie. Yeah. I just thought I'd mention that before we moved on. But yes, you only live twice. Are we going to talk about getting into started getting into the flop? Almost twice was okay, but you could tell by watching it that Connery did not want to be there. Yeah, I think it's like you said. He did so many back to back that he got burnt out pretty damn quick. He only did. Yeah, he got tired. Yeah. Well, imagine if you did the same character five movies in a row, pretty much shot almost back to back to back to back. You get burned out on it pretty damn quick, too. Right. And then all those other little movies in between. I mean, you yeah. just get tired of learning well, lines. That's probably why he didn't quit acting. And uh, after he did You Only Live Twice, that's when Roger Moore took over for the next couple of movies. No, uh, no the spotting that was the George Layton no, no. No, no, there's Mom's talking right now. Yeah. Listen. Mom's talking Wait. right now, Stephen. So Okay, you only live twice, but then diamonds are forever. And yeah, that is George Layton, he did his one film which was on Her Majesty's Secret Service, which I'm hesitant to talk about because I know that certain people have probably talked too damn much about that film. Um, No, uh uh-uh. But Diamonds Are Forever is a Sean Connery film. Yeah, Yeah, it's weird. He did uh, uh, Young Lips Wife, then On Her Majesty's Secret Service came out. Like I said, this is the first of his his films where you quit playing James Bond. <laughs> we right. got two more left. <clears throat> right. I, I, I mean, more well, you know, a certain myth is, uh, boy. He, he really wanted to do, well, the Anderson tapes, but he really wanted to do that Molly Maguire's 
And so he wanted yeah, to do all these little uh, films right see. there. Here we got Shalico, the Molly Maguire's, the Anderson Tate. The Anderson Tate is damn good. I don't know why that yeah, one I doesn't have so a too. better reputation than it does. Just because it wasn't James Bond. Yeah, when I was thinking of the James Bond, uh, I was thinking uh, Gilbert directed uh, The Spy Who Loved Me and Moonraker that both had Roger Moore, but they weren't subsequent. Uh, You're right. Sean Connery did come back in the meantime. But interesting fact about You Only Live Twice, if you, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, Roald Dahl wrote the screenplay for that. Yeah. Hmm. Diamonds and Forever was the one that had the first gay villain in James Bond history. You're the first gay villain in James Bond history. Yeah. And, and the thing was, one of them was played by Crispin Glover's dad, and I had him on the show once, and that boy's crazy. I love him, but he's crazy. You had Bruce Glover? Yeah, Bruce yeah. Glover is crazy as his son is. <laughs> yeah. So what are we yeah, talking about is... now? Oh, sorry. No. Well, no, the Anderson Tates and the Diamonds are forever. The Anderson Tates, if you watch it, you're like, wow, this is a great 70s thriller. But it really didn't do that good back then. I don't know why. Because it's good. Yeah, Yeah, but I think it's because he wasn't James Bond. Everybody wanted to see him in James Bond. That's the whole thing. I think it had to do with Sean Connery is my James Bond, and I want to see him play James Bond. I don't care if this movie's good. (laughs) I think that's what the whole... Idea was back then. Yeah, this was another. Well, and Sydney, this was another Sydney Lumet movie. <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, I have to mention this every. I'm contractually obligated to mention this every time we uh, do a radio show. Uh, Quentin Tarantino is my favorite director. And you cannot tell me that this movie was not a huge influence on Tarantino. Right. I agree. I agree. You're right. Mm. Yeah. And Diamonds Are Forever is okay. Besides Bruce Glover and them as the villains, it's just, it's a real mess. Yeah. But you do get to see, uh, what's his name, who played the narrator in Rocky, Charles Gray who played the narrator in the Rocky Horror Picture Show in a dress playing Blowfield hiding out in a dress. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think Diamonds Are Forever is probably my least favorite James Bond film. I would even take the, you know, the non-Connery years over Diamonds Are Forever. You know, your George <laughs> Lazenby, your, oh, who else played friggin' You know, I'll I'll just go I'll just go with uh with Steven. You know, Timothy Dalton didn't didn't <laughs> Timothy Dalton play? Timothy um, Dalton, yeah, yeah that's right. Timothy yeah. Dalton, yeah, <laughs> Timothy Dalton films were good. They were just before their time. 
Okay. Well, before All right. Their time, that's how that's how you're describing them. <laughs> too, too, yeah, because look, Daniel Craig was the same level of darkness as those movies. Yeah, that's true. I, yeah. <laughs> you might you might have a point. I I never really know and when you have, have a point. They didn't have Jones in them. <laughs> true. True. <laughs> I'll give you that. Uh, now we have one of uh, John Connery's written in stone classics and one of Sidney Lumet's written in stone classics, which is The Offense. God, is that movie yeah. good. Yeah. Have and you seen that it, one, uh, Vicki? I hope you yeah. have. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. I've seen this. That was a good what it is, for those who haven't seen it, Sean Connery plays a cop who's on the edge of snapping, but who has to interrogate this guy who's accused of molesting this nine-year-old girl. And it pretty much takes some place inside of an interrogation room and it's a battle of wits. And Lord, is it dark. Uh, going back to my earlier comment about Quentin Tarantino, I would say that this film uh, inspired oh, Christopher Oh, God, yes, definitely. When, when he wrote The Usual Suspects. I think, yeah. I think, this, is, I think this is a big uh, uh, influence on The Usual Suspects. Why do you suspects? keep saying that Tarantino wrote The Usual Suspects when it was... Uh, I didn't. I just said this was... Insane. I said... I said, going back to my reference to Tarantino, I'm now saying this movie yeah. was a big influence on Christopher McQuarrie, who wrote the oh, usual Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. No. Clean yeah, the shit out of your when ears. I'm going to prove that Vicky's a hypocrite. Crit. She said, <laughs> oh, yeah, I love Sean Connery. I'll be with Sean Connery. But you don't want a movie where he runs around and but you don't like a movie where he runs around and nothing but a thong in it through the whole movie. I I wait, here's the thing. Sean Connery almost naked, that's fine with me. That part that that's fine. Sean Connery almost naked. That's good. All the rest of it. The diaper thing that he wears, I fucking hate it. And then um the big uh, <laughs> the big head thing flying around even when I was a kid and I see this big stone head flying around and there's no motor there's no engine there's no rocket there's nothing it just flies the fuck around I don't I can't get it I hate that movie (laughs) it's not there's no science fiction in it it's just pure fiction (laughs) I think you're right Stephen she is a hypocrite yeah, Zardoz is good. Zardoz is I, good. It's a man's movie. It is a man's movie down to the very end. It's a man's movie. It it's really fun, and it uh, I all all I can ever think of when I watch it is uh, that scene in Family Guy where they're like, "We now returned <laughs> the depressing 1970s film." With a guy in a turtleneck. <laughs> That's all I can ever think of when I watch it now. Yeah, but you call it a man's movie, but who, but what was and 
John Connor is Zed's costume based on. Please, I don't know. He has the red booby <laughs> slippers. That's what the boots are, the <laughs> slippers. Look, I would have liked Wizard of Oz a lot more if Dorothy wore, like, you know, <laughs> panties and ran around in inside yeah. high boots. Yeah, that, that would and no shirt. Yeah, that would have been a, <laughs> yeah, I, I think I would be a much bigger fan of but Wizard of Oz. Depends. I can understand what people would, I can understand what people love it like I do, but I also understand why people hate this movie. John Burman you know, is not a guy you can go eh, about. You right. either love the movie or you freaking hate it. Yeah, John Borman, what a he's out there, you know. He floats on the periphery, right? And I mean one of my very favorite movies of all time is Excalibur. I love that movie. I've I must have watched it a thousand times by now. And but oh, <laughs> Zardoz Oh, no, I can't watch it all the way through. It kills me. <laughs> but next is, yeah. you made my shock. This is uh, Sean Connery's biggest box office hit of the 70s, and pretty much the movie is that made more money than any of his James Bond films, and that's Murder on the Orient Express. Yeah. Well. Well. Everyone loves this movie or this story. How many times have you seen this story over the years done again with all new gas? People love this movie. I've uh, watched there it. There was, with... uh, yeah. Yeah. And I love exactly. the version that, uh, what's his name did that they came out last year, Kenneth Branagh. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I did yep. too. I like that. Yeah. And Kenneth Branagh is, uh, actually, uh, I he's he's actually adapting uh, another Agatha Christie story for his next film. I can't remember what it is now because you know I've been Murder locked in my house. The sun. and it's done. Been, it's done. It I've, just got delayed. Another one of those that got delayed because of COVID. It's done. Oh, good. Yeah, Murder in the Orient Express, the cinema mat. Let's see. Albert Finney is one of the best Poirots, and everybody is well cast in this movie. Right. I do think Albert Finney is fantastic in this movie. Fantastic. Yeah, there's not a bad performance in this movie. I mean, right. And this is is funny because this is another Sidney Lumet movie. (laughs) <laughs> and, uh, I mean, we got Lauren Bacall, we got Martin Balsam, and I mentioned this, I, I forgot to mention this before, but we were talking about other uh, Lume movies, and uh, he cast Martin Balsam, who, w- when we rewind back to the top of the show when we were talking about Hitchcock, uh, Martin Ronnie Balsam was, Hitch- yeah, Martin Balsam was always uh, in Hitchcock movies. Yeah, yeah so. he was. He was. And he yeah. did a lot of that um, serial TV um, uh, detectives and uh, Twilight Zone Outer Limits type stuff. Martin Balsam always did that type of um, – he, he's a, an actor that worked a lot also. 
He yeah. did film. Uh, he did the Nors, all the all of that. You know, he he just had that look. Well, they had. You know, there were so many of those shows back then that were like The Outer Limits, The Twilight Zone, Alfred Hitchcock Presents, um, and uh, oh, what's the one I'm thinking of? Uh, you know, old what's its name? Uh, <laughs> uh, like Playhouse, uh, Playhouse ninety. Um, oh yeah, he was, um, yeah. He was on so many of those shows back then. He had, he just had that look, you know. Right. Uh, right, and he could yeah. play it perfectly. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Martin Balsam. Yeah. yeah, Martin Balsam. And I yeah. think he was and, uh, in Sidney Lumet's uh, version of the, the Crucible that he did, where he changed uh, the dialogue into testimony from uh, the House on American Activities Board. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. But and I'm trying to think. You said that Zardoz is a man's movie? Yeah, I'm trying to start in. The Wind and yeah. the Lion was a freaking woman's movie. Yeah. Well, I'll then agree. Let the, <laughs> well, then let the woman talk about it. <laughs> okay, hold on. <laughs> I gotta move on. I'm I'm on the a different. I was looking at the uh, Murder on Orient Express. Um, yeah. Are you saying that this is because it has that sweeping epic romance to it? <laughs> yes, and Kenneth Bergman and uh, <laughs> and uh, Sean Connery playing a Rudolph Valentino role, basically. Right, right. Well, this is, you know, he's being cast now. He's starting to be cast as outside of his um, his ethnic background because he's so furry, right? <laughs> and, so, and so this starts leading him down yeah. that path, okay, to, that leads to Highlander and Ramirez, okay? I mean, Sean Connery. You, the one thing you can say is maybe he started going bald, but man, he could grow a beard and he had chest hair. All right. So he looks kind of like other ethnic cultures, men from other ethnic cultures. So now they start mm. casting him in these roles. <laughs> this is one of them. Okay. Yeah. And okay. Moving on. Uh, guys, what was, the first bromance film ever really made. Romance film. I know the first. I know the first romance novel ever written, but I don't know the first romance film. What's the I first romance. romance novel? I said it's bromance. Clarissa. What are you? Yeah. Oh, bromance. I said bromance. Oh, you said bromance. Yeah. Oh well, hey. If you're going to talk about my favorite movie of all time, right? <laughs> the Man Who Would Be King. God, if that movie isn't just the most perfect movie ever made, I don't know what is. That movie is the best. Oh, God, yeah. One of John Huston's best. Yes. And, and the chemistry I'm, between uh, 
uh, Michael Caine and Sean Connery. That I don't know why they didn't make another movie together because the chemistry between them was oh, it was on fire. Yeah, I think I think John Huston was just kind of like such a maverick that he didn't have that same uh, attitude towards filmmaking that a lot of modern directors have, like your, you know, like Paul Thomas Anderson and Quentin Tarantino and the Coen brothers who use the same actors over and over. I think uh, John wow. Huston was just, like just kind of like you know, he just wanted to work with different people every time and, you know, move into different genres. But I agree. I mean, I don't, I don't think I've ever seen a John Huston movie that I didn't love. Uh, he's a, he right. was a great director. Yeah. He was he a was. great director. This was uh, the first film that he filmed using the John Cassavetti school of filmmaking. Yep. Right. He would get in movies like uh, Tentacles, all of his crappy movies that he acted in. He would take every scene of those and then it's like, well, I can make whatever I want, so I'm going to make The Man Who Would Be King. Right. He right. tried to actually, he tried to get this movie made for almost two decades. And yeah, he had to, he had to spend his own money. He had to save up. He had different actors picked out at different times to play um, um, Danny and God, what's wrong with my brain? The two, the two who go off to be kings. Um, and so yeah. I think it was really great that he couldn't get enough money together to do the film until he got Seanery and Kane together. You know. Uh, Sean Connery and Michael came together because I think they were perfect. Per- yeah. All the other co- um, uh, duos that that uh, you can find them in uh, Wikipedia. Uh, he had several, like Bogart and somebody else, I forget who. Um, they're good and fine actors, but these two, for one thing, they come from the British Isles, right? So they know those nuances that um, the Brits have. And so it, it's just these guys are perfect for these roles. Yeah, and he rounded out the cast with, uh, was it Christopher Plummer that yep. played? Yeah. Yeah, mm. who, who was also, I don't know if he was from the same region, but he was British, so... Uh, I don't really, I I don't understand geography well enough to know how uh, how all of uh, <laughs> all of that lays out. I I don't even I, I'm I'm really big on politics, but I don't even understand what the heck is going on with Brexit because I don't really understand where the X is in Brexit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like, isn't it all just one big continent? I don't know. What what the hell is going on? <laughs> and I made a joke earlier about uh, when and the lion being a woman's film, but this, this next film might be his most underrated role of the 70s because Robin and Marion was uh, him as Ro- an old Robin Hood and... Uh, Who was it that started 
Breakfast and Tiffany's. Audrey Hepburn. Hepburn, Thank yeah. You. As uh, Maid Marian is just so good. I don't know. I understand the point they were trying to make with it, uh, with Connery being like an old grumpy Robin Hood. I I don't know. I don't feel this one, man. I I I'm not a fan. I didn't really like it that much. Like I yeah. think what you right. I agree with Nate. I don't. I there's something about um, Robin Hood who happens to be just one of my my favorite characters in you know my fictional life. I love what Robin Hood stands for and everything. And a grumpy old Sean Connery as Robin Hood. (laughs) Just, I'm just like, what the hell happened to you? I want to slap you. uh, I wanted to slap him. Well, the director of uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, cast uh, Sean Connery in it, in that small cameo, because he loved Robin Hood, Marion. So... (laughs) (laughs) I, I think... I think part of the problem is that, you know, my first introduction to Robin Hood was the old Disney movie with the fox who was... Oh, that was yeah. A, that was Disney, right? The fox that was right. Robin Hood. Right, and he, right. And he was all playful and fun, you know. So uh, as the years went on and I started to watch more and more films, once I got to this one, I was like, well, this ain't what Robin Hood's all about. <laughs> He's supposed to be, he steals from the rich, he gets to the poor. Right. You hear, right. You hear that, Hear that, Stephen? I said, ain't. I gave you a little slice of what we say up north here. <laughs> <laughs> that, was for, that was for you. Oh, I, I gave you the funny list. thing is that they, uh, a bridge too far... And the, the sort of the sequel to The Longest Day, Michael Caine and Sean Connery were both in that one, too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. The, the bridge one of those where the a... cast were so big, I don't think they had a scene together. I'm not sure. Right. I haven't seen I that one. I've did. seen The Longest Day, but I haven't seen A Bridge Too Far. Oh, I saw oh, that... all of those. Yeah, yeah, I liked it. A Bridge Too Far. I love that movie. When I was a kid, I thought it was great. <laughs> yeah, holy, holy shit, man! You've never seen A Bridge Too Far. You got to get on that. That's got yeah. James Con uh, Connery's in it, obviously. Really That's what we're cool. talking about. Anthony Hopkins, Lawrence Olivier, yeah. Ryan O'Neill. You know, Maximilian Shell. I mean, come on. There's just, uh, Denim Elliot. Oh, I love Denim Elliot. <laughs> Everyone's got, in this movie. It's got Redford in it. Uh, still handsome. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I know he's hard to look at these days. The bank robber wasn't bad. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? The one that came out a couple of years ago. Which one? Oh, the, the one... He played a bank robber. Yeah. No, yeah. I don't remember. But did you see that that piece of crap movie that he played in where he's out on the boat by himself? I did not. <laughs> the, I didn't. You know, you know how sad it is? Uh, like, I have so many different streaming platforms at my house 
and I have so many DVDs and VHS tapes, and there are still movies that I'm just like, nah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Well, I can tell you for certain, that is a terrible movie. So Robert Redford out being depressed out in the middle of the ocean and, uh, you know, the whole metaphor of fighting your demons on a boat by yourself in the ocean. It's terrible. <laughs> I, I fight my demons alone in my office here every night. I don't need to watch that movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I and well, one another good one that came out is based on the Michael Crichton book. I think one of the first adaptions of Michael Crichton's books, and that's uh, the Great Train Robbery with him and Donald Sutherland together. Right, I like yeah. that movie. I had it. I like that movie. It's just fun. It's just fun looking at Sean Connery and I know, Donald I like Sutherland trying to outcool oh. each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And. Uh, we, you and I were talking about this a couple of weeks ago where we were trying to uh, get into just one of our little asides. We were talking about Michael Crichton movies. Uh, this one's interesting because this, this is one of his earliest uh, directing efforts. Uh, he adapted it from his own novel. And yeah, yeah. this one is pretty fun. It's got... Uh, well, Sean Connery, of course, that's who we're talking about tonight. But yeah, he and Donald Donald Sutherland have a great back and forth. They they're fun. It's a good one. Now we're in. You know, I, I hate to say this. Um, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, well, I just wanted no, to say that ahead. Donald Sutherland. He's in a new HBO. Um, show he's the mother of uh, one of the characters a mother he's the father <laughs> of one of the characters and I'm more, telling you how much you had tonight Vicky come on <laughs> <laughs> I'm not telling him the mother I've watched yet jeez <laughs> whoa that secrets secrets <laughs> So all I'm saying is that if you're if um, he's looking very old and tired, and even though his acting is still good inside, he's like still like a 30 year old guy. His body is just giving, you know, giving it away. Um, He's still a great actor on the inside, but don't. Don't say that there's no one else to go yet, okay? Because 2020 is not over yet. Yeah. <laughs> well, I can remember yeah. uh, watching the Twin Peaks reboot the first episode and just being horrified when I seen the log lady. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, uh, I don't. I don't know if they did it on purpose with the with the new season of Twin Peaks, but Kyle MacLachlan. Oh man. I don't know if they made him look older than he looks or if I just haven't seen him in 20 years, but they made him look older. No, no. Yeah. Because he looks, he, you ought to see him. I I'm like one of his groupie fans and he does internet um, chats with his fans and everything. Oh no. He's in perfect health. That man is, that that man is in perfect health. (laughs) (laughs) 
Now we're nineteen seventy nine. We're in gonna be in a big debate on which one of these two was the worst film that he was in. It's a tie <laughs> between Cuba and Meteor. <sighs> We're we're not going to be in debate about this meteor. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. Come on, I'm the science fiction person, and I want Meteor to be this great movie. <laughs> and when I Natalie, went and saw it, I was horrified. <laughs> Natalie Wood should have been pushed off a boat before this movie was ever made. <laughs> and how did Jackie Chan ever have a U.S. career after that goofy? <laughs> Little skit that he did in Meteor where he played the guy in the tent was falling apart on him. <laughs> oh, God. That's such a stupid movie. The only thing I can say about Cuba that I like is I do enjoy Denholm Elliott in most movies. Right, so. right. <laughs> I'm with you on that. <laughs> Uh, that's and Chris Sheridan's in it. I I like Chris Sheridan. At least so. Balsam's in it good too. In 1981. Um, well, I like freaking good. I love that movie. Yeah, Outland. Oh yeah, that. Yeah. You, uh, I know. Peter Boyle uh, is in it. Francis yeah. um, Sternhagen. They're in it. They make that movie. The three of them make that movie. Uh, no, and um, Seeking, what's his last name, first name? Uh, all the people that were in the cast of that movie are, is great. Yeah. And she had a great death scene where uh, she's all shot up and she, and she just lights a cigarette. And Sean looks at her and goes, you know the things <laughs> are bad for you. And she looks at him and goes, you think right now I give a shit? <laughs> it's a great movie. I wonder um, the, what was was Outland. I mean, I know it doesn't have the same um, like robot uh, element, but it's been some crossover with Westworld. Like, when did Westworld come out? That was before Outland, right? Yeah, it was the 70s movie. Yeah, but it, it seems to have a very similar... I I mean, I know there aren't, like, robot cowboys in Outland, but it seems like... It seems like somebody got really high and watched Westworld and was like, oh, man, this would be so cool if it was just, like, humans, man. <laughs> <laughs> No, high noon in well, outer they, space. Look at the tagline for the movie. Right, high noon in outer space. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. I don't know. I and just wonder one, about. He played well, a very you know, maybe small you're... role in it. You what? might have heard Sorry. of this. I don't know if you know this one or not. Have you guys ever heard of Terry Gilliam? <laughs> Terry Gilliam? Yeah. Nope, never heard <laughs> yeah. of him. What did, he, what did he do? Oh, I bet he was on oh, some, like, comedy show or something. Yeah. <laughs> and the movie I'm talking about is Time Band. He was great in that. Sean Con- well, everyone was great in it, but Sean Connery was great. Yeah. Well, playing King Terry. Agamemnon, you know, come on. Yeah. One of the greatest kings ever. 
Yeah, only Sean Connery, you know? <laughs> yeah. The part that made was actually, That was a surprise. Terry, in my opinion, Terry Gilliam has never made a bad movie. Brazil is one of my favorite films ever. Right. And right. As, as a stand-up comedian, I am a huge fan of Monty Python as well as uh, Faulty Towers. I have all that. Highland. Great you know, I, I I can't get enough of it. So, yeah. And I I enjoy the fact that Terry Gilliam kind of went off in a weird direction with his filmmaking after Monty Python. Like, okay, yeah. so we all know, uh, you know, uh, Life of Brian and Holy Grail. So he's still kind of stuck with that ideal originally but then he kind of went off into his own weird direction and i you, love it and, i know, know nowadays it is talking about but you guys remember how much crap time, time bandits caught back in the 1981 because it wasn't a kid's movie we've seen our kids and it has the little people going around and the, the trailer shows them acting goofy I didn't expect this dark movie. <laughs> right? Yeah, I remember also, all that. Also, bringing it back around to something else we were talking about earlier, Robin Hood is in that movie. And it's not oh, Sean God. Connery. Michael Palin. <laughs> is that Michael Palin or... Uh, yes, yeah, I think, yeah, yeah. Michael yeah. Michael Palin. Yeah, he always Palin. played those roles. Yeah. Michael Palin plays Robin Hood in that movie. He's got and that smile. He's much more whimsical in his role as yes. Robin Hood. Yeah. Right. Robin Hood's <laughs> supposed to be whimsical, not grumpy and old. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now, now we're, we're going to get into the... Him making bad choices again with yeah. Five Days, One well, Summer, just... and Wrong is Right. Nah. I don't even know him. I was in college. I had other things to do. <laughs> you were in college in 1982? Yes, I was. Oh, oh goodness. Uh, does I that mean that I I'm didn't... old? <laughs> Well, I didn't get to college until 1998, so. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm old. I know you don't know that, but I'm old. <laughs> well, That's why Sean Connery can be like this. Real. Now, <laughs> really, for, honest for God, well, maybe yeah. unless the, the story about one thing that the director even confirms it is true, but. Never say never again. Oh God, this oh, is the worst. Oh, that's my favorite Justin Bieber album. I'm sorry, this one is bad. I, I love the I, title. I stand by it. It's my title favorite Justin good. Bieber album. I didn't know Sean Connery was on it. <laughs> Kim Basinger oh. may be one of the worst Bond girls ever. This oh, she's kind of the worst. Everything. Kim Basinger. Before she Think died. about it. They used to put her in all kinds of films, hoping that she would be an actress. 
okay? Because she's, she's beautiful, but they would stick her in these films and they go, and Kim Bassinger. And no, she can't act. <laughs> yeah, she finally got her shit together. Oh, you think? <laughs> you know, about 88, 89, about... She was the only good thing is my stepmother was an alien. The movie sucked, but she actually tried to give a performance in it. You know what so I mean? She finally acted well in a terrible movie. Great. Good for oh, her. All right. Well, now no got mercy. She was good in No Mercy. Now, nope. now I got to correct the West Coast and the South. Kim yeah, okay. Bassinger. Oh, oh, yes, you're right. <laughs> I always say her name wrong. Always. I guess because I don't care. <laughs> sorry, Kim, wherever you are. Yeah, I'm sure you've got a lot yeah, of Botox, but, you know, I'm sorry. Uh, but this was, another, this was another James Bond movie, also directed by Irvin Kirshner, who directed, uh, I don't know, Empire I keep saying Strikes Empire Strikes Back, because that's the only movie I know that he directed. It, yeah, but it was so great. He, Come on. It was great. It was the best Star Wars. A, did, did he direct The Big Chill? Who directed The Big Chill? Yes, I think that was so. Lawrence oh, yeah, because Lawrence Kasdan was part of it, too. Was part of The Empire Strikes Back. Lawrence Kasdan wrote was, The Empire Strikes Back. That's where you can see right, comes that's, from. Yeah, right. that's it. Okay. Well, we're you not realize that Star he Wars was right never now. going to make an action film so, that good again, so he decided, I'm going to make yuppie films for the rest of my career. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was a box office hit, so he made money. Yeah. He's very pretentious, though. You do that one really the say about the There's only one really good thing about Never Say Never Again, and that's Klaus Maria Bandauer is the bad guy. He was good. Yeah, he's pretty good. Yeah. I still like the title. Never Say Never Again. I mean, that's such a Bond title, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Every time you hear and it, you already, you already hear the, the Bond that, theme yeah. song. Right. Right. This is a movie that the director directed four times before this one, so of course, of course. Lord of the Valiant had to be decent because the director had already done three other versions of it by the time he directed this. <laughs> yeah. Nope. Uh, even with friggin' Sean Connery and Miles O'Keefe, I can totally see this being on Mystery Science Theater 3000. Don't care. <laughs> <laughs> No. <laughs> Here's where you're going to be a dummy. It actually was. Was it on Mystery uh, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you remember they actually made that joke? And he's like, this movie's pretty good. It should. He directed the thing four times before this.
And when I went to see this movie, there was only six people in the theater, (laughs) including me and my dad. (laughs) All I know is I looked at Fangoria and said, immortals in... Immortals run around New York chopping each other's head off. And I'm like, well, that sounds okay. Yeah. And I didn't want to go see Down and Out in Beverly, Beverly Hills. So I said, yeah, let's go see this Highlander movie. Yes. Boom. My brain was blown. I was right. like, Whoa, this like- is great. And no one went Everyone. to see it over here. Everyone. In the U.S. No, I saw it hit in every country but the U.S. <laughs> I saw it. I was pregnant, and I saw it. I saw it. I saw it. I saw a lot of um. You were in movies. college, then you were pregnant. This is the is what is this? The Vicky Love category here in I just remember she hung around Carl too much. <laughs> No, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I just remember, that's how I remember the movie. Like, The Name of the Rose, yeah. I saw it later on HBO, probably. But I saw Highlander with a big old belly. But <laughs> <laughs> um, well, once Highlander hit video in the U.S., good Lord, did the fans love for this the movie exposed, explode. Love Highlander. The only thing I don't like about it is this goes back to Stephen, what you and I were talking about a few weeks ago when we were talking about movies that should have been one and done. Come on, man. Highlander. They they literally say there can be only one. So when Highlander ends, there's only one. (laughs) Right? Yeah. I have seen this uh, cartoon earlier this week. It showed this uh, uh, father showing her son. Their son, Highlander, he's like, son, that was Highlander. He's like, wow, was there any more? Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Nope. There can be only one. The thing I didn't like about Highlander is that um, I don't know why they made Sean Connery's character, instead of being a Highlander, made him a Spaniard, made him wear all those Why did they make a terrible... French guy of Highlander? I don't know. I don't know why they did it. They they could have made that movie. That movie could have been a blockbuster had they just done some of the right. Made it. It's called Highlander. So make them. I mean, Sean Connery is a freaking Scotsman. <laughs> yeah, if they would have yeah, and- released the European cut over here, which explains a couple of the plot holes in the movie. Yeah, and that's because us like Americans are dumb. Like having him in the secretary meet. <laughs> I mean, right. really, I don't- if you watch that. Yeah. The line, it's a kind of magic, actually has meaning to it. Go ahead. I don't care much for Christopher Lambert as an actor anyway. So, I mean, I do like Highlander. Care much. And I like Tarzan. I like Tarzan and I like Highlander, but all the rest of his movies are B movies. 
and yeah. that's where they belong. That's where they belong. Yeah. But Sean, but Sean Connery was great as Juan Sanchez Villalobos Ramirez. Right. <laughs> yeah. How how long or how high do you think the writers were when they came up with that name? That I mean, that's even more ridiculous than any of the names that the characters have in the Princess Bride. There, he was just like, <laughs> yeah. It was probably two Catholics fighting it out. Is that he has this gigantic Spanish name? <laughs> then we got right. the line, "You Spanish peacock! I'm not Spanish. I'm Egyptian." <laughs> why, the fuck would a, why the fuck would a Span an Egyptian have a name like Juan? <laughs> Sounds like one of my uncles. Yeah. Well. You're Hispanic. How many well, Egyptians do you like know? It sounds like you're introducing all of my uncles at once. Hey, see, what's your uncle's name? Oh, that's Juan, Sanchez, Avila Lomos, and that's Ramirez. That's my uncle, man. <laughs> but we're forgetting what was the best part of the movie, and this person actually had Russian roots. We liked John Connery in this. We liked uh, Christopher Lambert, but we fucking loved and Clancy love. Brown. He stole we this movie him. without even trying. He's a freaking god in this movie, isn't he? Oh, my God. He's the oh, best. Oh, yeah. Okay. And that so, was the so. improv line when he had the old woman in the car, and he just leaned over and went, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> So I think Christopher Lambert the most fun he ever had in his life, couldn't you? <laughs> so so I say Christopher Lambert and you say Christopher Lambert. But when we go the opposite direction, I'm the one who's mispronouncing the names. When I say Sydney Lumet and you say Sydney Lumet I, No, no. This is it. No, I I'm go done. It because I've actually seen it pronounced right in uh, well, in Lucasan's his real name is Christophe Lambert, <laughs> not Christopher. Right. <laughs> yeah. Agree to disagree. Oh, I forgot. Agreed. Yeah, he's good in the Lucasan subway too. Agree to disagree. <laughs> oh, now, name of the rose. I love the name of the rose. Oh yeah, so good. I actually think this was the first, with the exception of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. I think this was probably the first movie I ever saw Sean Connery in, and. Yeah, it's amazing. Only yeah. thing I don't the only thing I don't like about the name of the rose is Christian Slater. I think his performance <laughs> is just terrible. And he I almost don't got killed I, by uh F. Murray Abraham on that movie. Yeah. What well, an accident? No, on purpose they were in a bar 
and he cut and, and this is from Christian Slater's Playboy interview. He wa- he was in a bar and he walked over and said hello to F. Murray Abraham, and for some reason that he pissed him off and F. Murray Abraham jumped up and said, "You little pretentious motherfucker!" and jumped right at him. And if Sean Connery and uh, an actor we'll mention a little bit later hadn't been there to grab him, he would have strangled him. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Is that before or after he won his award? (laughs) It was after uh, Mozart. But I I want to ask you a question since you're a comedian. What do you think about the movie's argument that comedy is dangerous because it because it allows us to make fun of those in power and it takes away those in power's power. Well, as a comedian, and I've been doing this for years now, um, I I don't think anything should be off limit when it comes to stand up comedy, but. We are feeling a real a pushback right now. There are a lot of clubs that we were going out to play. Obviously, we're not doing that as much now with COVID. We've been doing some, like, drive-in theater comedy, uh, you know, where you go up on the drive-in screen before the movie starts and people just sit in their cars and listen and, you know. But it's getting cold up here in the Northeast, so that's dying out now too but I don't think there should be anything that's off limits in comedy unless you're being forthright racist sexist just plain up ignorant I think you should be right, able to yeah. Bend in. yeah you should be able to bend into it a little bit you know like I make some jokes that are a little bit and a little bit racist but all in good fun like not straight up just ignorant shit you know but, yeah, I I think the best weapon we have right now as an American society is to be able to shoot down – well, I shouldn't say shoot down. Oh, 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 now, I'm on a wait, now I'm on a watch list. Yep. <laughs> uh, you know, but, yeah, no, we should be able to use comedy to, to, to take everyone down a notch, you know. I'm an equal yeah. opportunity offender. I am an equal opportunity offender. I've made fun of uh, Trump just as much as I've made fun of Hillary and Biden and, you know, everyone else. Like, yeah, no, comedy comedy is a weapon that it's a peaceful weapon, you know, and it, not, it comforts people, you know. It makes people feel like, hey, this – someone thinks the same way that I think and then maybe that means there are other people out there that think the same way that I think and so you know you don't have to be you don't have to be one of those idiots out there in the streets with a friggin AK strapped to your back or you don't have to be one of those idiots out there in the streets wearing your black masks and smashing windows and punching Trump supporters like no we can talk about this we can talk about it and we can talk about it in a fun way and we can talk about it in a constructive way. We can talk about it. Let's just talk about it. Like all I am saying is let's give peace a chance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and 
my favorite moment of the movie, and it really made me fall in love with this actor. It was like, also the movie, you see him in this grotesque, horrendous hunchback makeup, speaking in this grotesque voice. And then all of a sudden, when he's tied to the stake, comes out the most beautiful operatic song you could think of. Right? <laughs> and that's the moment yeah. I'm like, Ron Perlman is one of my gods now. Yeah. yeah. I knew you. I knew you were waiting to to mention Ron Perlman. Yeah, yeah. There's another man who works a lot. Funny, yeah, and what's funny is that uh, that scene wasn't scripted. He was off singing opera to himself, and then Umberto Eco heard that, and he's like, "Why didn't you sing this before?" Well, Umberto, you had me play a caveman in Quest for Fire. And then you had me play this grotesque. When do I have a chance to do that? And he's like, do it on there, but don't tell anybody. Okay. <laughs> right. And the look <laughs> on every one of the actor's faces when he starts singing is the legit reaction. So, you know, holy shit. <laughs> the sweet version of the chestburster scene in Alien. <laughs> yeah. And how funny I love is it? that analogy. Not even was it like a year or so after this that uh, Ron Perlman became every woman's fantasy on Beauty and the Beast, the television show. No, no, he, he was he he did that before this movie. It was before this movie. Huh. Yeah. Believe me, you don't want me to say my pregnancies and all that kind of stuff and college and everything, yeah. but I know. I know where I was living and what I was doing when Beauty and the Beast was on TV. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, I'm so old. You know, dinosaurs and all, they, they used to be my neighbors, and so uh, I have to keep track. My memory is going, and I have to keep track by events. Okay. <laughs> I think you're right though. Uh, uh, yeah. Name of the Name of the Rose came out in '86, and I think Beauty and the Beast was at least '85. Yeah. I mean, I'm not. I'm not that. But it much is sad older. that Name of the Rose doesn't have a better reputation than it does. Yeah. Well, it's one of those things that you and I always talk about when we talk about like uh, Ken Russell's uh, Ken Russell's lost films. Um, I think what? there's a lot of ed- there's a lot of edited versions out there, and they don't really tell the story as well. And you know, you know what? It was the same time. Um, you guys, I yeah. just want to. Um, no, you're right, Stephen. Beauty and the Beast started. Um, I just wanted to be right because something in my mind was saying you're wrong, you're wrong. Um, Beauty and the Beast came out uh, in '87, and Name of the Rose was '86. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, see, that's what happens, Vicky. When you get older, your mind starts to go. You don't remember yeah. things. Well, when you when you have to uh, 
You know, I skipped the meteor, but... Being a teacher and grading and making sure your camera works. All within the <laughs> same five minutes. You go along oh, yeah. insane, don't you, Biggie? <laughs> oh, hey, for the first time in two and a half months, three months, my um, Microsoft Teams program worked, and the kids saw my face today. <laughs> I've been doing this long-distance thing for since August, okay? <laughs> and they're like, hey, mm. we like that background. Hey, how's it going? And I'm like, yeah, technology. So anyway, yeah, <laughs> my brain is just gone. <laughs> Sorry about yeah. that. My brain is and gone. now we're at the movie where uh, Sean Connery won his only Oscar, and that is The Untouchables. Won it by the Palmas Bass. Yeah. yeah. Well, it was one of uh, those um, so ensembles. Nope. Yeah. Come on, man. I love Brian De Palma. David Mamet wrote the screenplay. Come on. How yeah. is this not, like, how is this not one of the, like, more, this is right on the same level as Goodfellas and The Godfather, as far as I'm concerned. I don't know why this movie doesn't get more love. There's not a bad performance in the movie. You know, we mostly like, Sean Connery was great, but so-and-so still the movie. No, everyone is on that level in this movie. Kevin Costner is at his best. Andy Garcia is at his best. Robert De Niro is at his best. Uh, who was it that played Frank Needy in the movie? Uh, can't remember. Well, yeah. was in it. Billy Drago. Yeah. Is that his and name? Charles Martin Smith is fucking great in this. I mean, can you think of a bad performance in The Untouchables? Nope, I, I can't. Yeah. Nope. I know no, people it's... that love this movie. I know lots of people that love this movie. Yeah, this is a very well-loved classic, man. <laughs> and it... uh Now... As often as you mispronounce the name of our podcast, I am going to mispronounce the name of the person who did the score for this movie because I've never been able to get it right despite a ton of my favorite movies. Uh, Inicio Inicio Morricone. Yeah. I can never say it right. Morricone. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't we just, just do a show that. on him? Because he passed yeah, away? Just, uh, that show didn't exist. It didn't happen, Vicky. If you remember the incident that okay. happened on that show, that show didn't happen. <laughs> but just thank <laughs> God. God a composer. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yes, he was the... Re- and he didn't I win an Oscar for this one. It kills me. It's that the hateful eight out of all of his beautiful scores is the one that he finally won an Oscar for. What about Once Upon yes, a Time but... in America? What about Once Upon a Time in the West? What about The Untouchables? What about The Mission? But think about the way that I I don't know. This is my theory about uh, the Academy 
and uh, you know, a lot of directors and you know, cinematographers. Oh, there's all there are all these people, composers, uh, actors, directors. They don't get their Oscar until they're. I mean, come on, you really think that Scorsese should have gotten his Oscar for The Departed when Goodfellas is the best oh. film that he's ever directed? You know, well, I mean. Raging Bull is considered the best movie of the 80s, but not right. good enough for an Oscar. <laughs> right. Ordinary people? Uh, yeah. Scorsese should have six Oscars on his shelf right now, and he's got one for a movie that he directed when they were just like, well, he's getting old. We better give him one. You know, I mean, that's yeah, Kubrick that's should have had about four or five Oscars on his uh, mantle. Touchables was a really good setup. I actually think De Palma's uh, next film, uh, Carlito's Way, was that his next film? It, it was no. Close his out. next one was uh, the one, the Vietnam film he did, where he uh, cast Michael J. Fox as a hardcore Vietnam vet. Oh yeah. Uh... <laughs> yeah. That, Don't worry, it's understandable. I can't yeah. think of the name of that. <laughs> and the yeah. next one he did with Presidio, which was pretty good. Mark Harmon was good in it. It's a disposable <laughs> thriller. Yeah. Mark Harmon looked good in it. Yeah, that's a that's a nice No, way he to was describe. good in it. It's a oh, you, I thought you said thriller. he was good in it. I thought you said he looked good in it. No, he was. Yeah, Mark he was. Harmon looks good in it. Let's see. He was Ryan was good in it. Yeah. Yeah. But like I said, huh? it's, I disposable, it's a disposable thriller. And then we get yeah. to one of most people's favorite roles. This movie probably would have gotten a lot more love if it didn't come out all the week before Batman. Yeah. And that's Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. He was perfect as Indiana Jones' father, even though they were only 12 years apart. (laughs) This role shows um, uh, the range Sean Connery had because his comedic timing, way better than Harrison Ford. I'm not a Harrison Ford fan. Uh, And so he, Sean Connery himself raised the level of this movie. Because everyone was acting to Connery's level. And so the movie was uh, raised by his presence in the film. I agree with that. That's Sean Connery's best. Oh, sorry. And it has Sean Connery's best improv line ever. The original line was, Dad, how'd you find out I was a Nazi? I overheard his improvisation. Dad, how did you find out it was a Nazi? She told me in her in her sleep when I slept with her. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, I agree with Vicky though. Uh Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade is only as good as Sean Connery's performance. He definitely yeah. pulled everyone up to the highest level. Uh and he did not that the other, well, I can't say not that the other films, uh, there was humor 
in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Right. Yeah, there was. Temple, Temple of Doom was pretty dark with a little bit of humor, but again, that goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning of the show. It was ironically enough, the humor in Temple of Doom was Connery slapping women around, even though he wasn't in that movie, but you know what I'm saying. Like, right. right. Uh, yeah. Lucas and, uh, and Spielberg definitely wrote a really dark script because they were both going through divorces at the time. So the story right, goes. Both. So, yeah. So they wrote <laughs> a both. horrible script about uh, abusing women. Uh, but yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Last Crusade definitely brought the, the trilogy back up to a, a high standard of humor and action and, Connery did show uh, like a different range than he had shown in the past with a real like humorous sensibility that everyone else rose up to. And and they even wrote to that effect uh, because we see characters from the previous films who are suddenly more comedic in nature than they were in the past. And so I think I I would like to believe that they kind of wrote in that direction because they knew Connery was going to be funny as, you know, as, yeah. the, as, as, you know, so, yeah. And, you know, I, let's I be that, honest. Yeah. We, we keep saying we don't know what was really missing from Kingdom of the Kiss Crystal Skull. Just talking <laughs> about this now made me realize. It was missing Sean Connery. If it was that they'd done it earlier where Sean Connery could have, it could have been all three of them. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Maybe we went on right. a better movie. <laughs> yeah, because that movie didn't have much humor. That was, oh, that was not the best movie. But you know who else is in this movie and who's in the Indiana Jones saga and who's great is Denholm Elliott. <laughs> He's oh, God, great in yeah, he was. Yeah, that was. And that was the saddest part of Crystal Skull when they showed that statue of right. that it's sad that he died. Oh. Right, right. At least they gave him some and kind the, of memorial. That was cool. And, they, and that was they played, in, the, in the... Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was going to say, they play the best with Ben Holm Elliott in uh, uh, Last Crusade when the Nazis have Indiana Jones tied up and he's like, he knows 30 <laughs> languages. He's a master of disguise. You'll never find him. And then it cuts to him wandering around in the village. Hello? Hello? Does anyone here speak English? That's, that's yeah. one of my favorite jokes in the whole movie. Yeah, that's that's funny. That's funny stuff. And that was the best part of Crystal Skull was at the very end, and uh, Indiana looks up at Mutt and goes, you know what? What? Your grandfather is up in heaven laughing at me. (laughs) (laughs) That was a great movie. Great performance. I, I I watch those movies all the time. Uh, when I first met my wife, uh, you know, 15 years ago, she had never seen Star Wars. She had never seen any of the Indiana Jones movies. And 
So I kind of have a bit about that in my stand-up comedy act where I'm like, well, the first 10 years of every relationship is just you saying, what? You've never seen that movie? (laughs) (laughs) That's typically me. I watch so much bizarre crap. I'm like, thank God she hasn't seen this movie. (laughs) She's not as screwed up as I am. You know, you and I have talked about this before. There's a lot of bizarre crap I watch that I do not subject her to. But when it comes down to the yeah. basics, come on. You've got to see the Star Wars, at least the original trilogy. You've got to see Indiana Jones, you know. I mean, yeah, yeah I've, I've forced her through, uh, you know, through a lot of movies that she really probably didn't care about. But, you know, hey. She married me. She knew what she I was I feel bad into. about some of the movies that uh, Carl made Vicky watch, forced her to watch. I'm like, hey, I'm sorry, Vicky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like the turkey movie. I hate that freaking movie. <laughs> oh, I think, I think, uh, I think uh, Blood Freak, I think Stephen and yeah, I are going to yeah, do yeah, a yeah. live. I think Stephen and are I are going to do a live yeah, watch see, of that. I'm not gonna watch yeah. that because I hate that fucking yeah. movie. <laughs> yeah. I can remember. Yeah, I was like, when you're on the show, Carl's like, "Come on, Vicky, you gotta watch it with us." I'm like, "No, Carl, you don't force people to watch Blood Freak." <laughs> yeah, but he had he forced me to watch it back in 2000 or something, oh, and it's like, oh my god. Yeah, we rented it. Well, we rented it with my money, too. (laughs) Fuck off. Double it. Next is uh, Sean Connery's last Cindy Lumet film, and I wish I could say it was a good one, but family business is not prime Lumet. Nah, it's not that good. No. No. I don't know, man. For me, it's just kind of like, it seems like a phone-in performance from Dustin Hoffman. And yeah, I don't, I don't know. Broderick wasn't really that great in it. Like, I mean, not that Matthew Broderick's got to stay in his lane, man. You know, like Ferris Bueller. No, Matthew Broderick, when he's with Sean Connery, he's good. It's just both of them hated working with Hoffman. Right, because Hoffman can be a pig. He can. There's lots of stories about him, how he can can be. (laughs) Yeah. That's just the way it is. Yeah, well, we were talking about this before, you know, like, that's Hollywood, like, you never know, like, you can watch a hundred movies with someone, and you're like, yeah, yeah, I love this guy, and then all of a sudden, they're like, well, you know, he grabbed me by the pee, (laughs) and, uh, you know, I mean, you don't know, it's terrible, you know? Uh, Here's a film, one of the films that Connery hated, and he and he only did it for the money, and that's the Russia House. Yeah, well, you know, we do things for money. Yeah, I've I have once grabbed a girl by the pee for money. <laughs> she, 
She offered. She offered, Vicky. Hey, I'm backing away. I'm backing away. <laughs> no, he literally grabbed her pee. And she said, grab it and I'll pay you five bucks. So he just stuck his fingers in the cup and went, oh. <laughs>
by the fact that Sean Connery plays a Russian sub captain with a hot, very thick Scottish accent. Just shut up and go sit out in the truck and let the rest of us talk. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. right. <clears throat> yeah. No. Uh, yeah, he was amazing in Hunt for Red October. And, I mean, that movie, I mean, I know that was the big thing that critics uh, discussed was that, yeah, he had the Scottish accent, even though he was supposed to be a Russian. That, that, that doesn't matter. Yeah, he should have been nominated, at least nominated for an Academy Award for that. That was a great yeah. performance. Yeah, he did great. Yeah. Right. He was really and, great. And that whole Russian can, should have been yeah. done by a Russian. Forget it. I'm with you. Right. He yeah. was perfect for the role. I mean, if you really cared about the fact that the accent, then he didn't do a good job. Well, now, going back to what we were talking about earlier, if he had done a fake Russian accent, now that we're here in the era of cancel culture, would they have been like, well, we can't show the hunt for it October anymore because Sean Connery slapped his wife and then uh, did a fake Russian accent in well, a movie? No, <laughs> now that cancel culture will be more pissed off that he's a, a Scottish guy playing, you know, he's playing a freaking Russian guy. We can't have that. Or um, playing a Spaniard Egyptian in Highlander, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, this this whole yeah this whole uh, cast was just all going to waste because we've got too many movies of his that we can't. No, watch anymore. we're going into overtime. We're going to get to overtime. There's someone we can skip over, like a. Uh, Medicine Man. Yeah, let's do. I love Rising Sun. Most people don't because they consider it racist, and I would agree with them. There's a definitely damn dirty Japs theme to that movie. <laughs> well, you I just think. said Japs. Cancel culture. You're done. Yeah, cancel culture can come to me, but that's really, if you watch Rising Sun, that's the theme of the movie. There's no way to get around it, is there, people? Yeah, it, it that movie is kind of racist. Uh, I agree for sure. I enjoyed it kind of when I watched it. Wasn't uh, wasn't that based? What who who wrote the? That, that yeah, that was based Michael on a Crichton. Michael Crichton novel. Yeah, that was based yeah. on a Michael Crichton novel too. Yeah, yeah, it was a mediocre. It was another kind of like just. Watch it once and you're done. Like, yeah. Yeah, you skip over right. a lot more. Like, who cares about a good man in Africa just cause? But what did you guys? Even though the rest of the movie sucked, what did you guys think of Sean Connery's performance as King Arthur in First Night? Now, I like the, it. Yeah, this is where this is where we've got. uh where we've got Sean Connery as this is kind of the same way that he played Robin Hood, but this works more in favor of his talent. This is, yes. you know, you know what I'm saying? 
Yeah, yeah like, well, it it's like also the role. Movie, Richard Gere. What really sucked about that movie, Richard Gere? Right, right, Richard Gere. But yeah, in, in this film, we've got all of the intensity that he put into Robin Hood, which we all agreed earlier was kind of ridiculous, but it works in First Night because that's the kind of intensity that you want when you're looking at King Arthur. That works. Yeah. Yeah. So Uh, I I thought that was, yeah. What would you get, man, if uh, James Bond was in 1972, right after Diamonds Are Forever, he stole some microfilm that had a lot of the secrets of the U.S., but the U.S. captured him and locked him up, and the British disavowed him, and he wasn't James Bond anymore, but he was uh, Mace Plata. They changed to his, his name to Mason, and he escaped Alcatraz, but then they put him in a deep, dark hole. But because a couple of commandos took over Alcatraz, they had to release James Bond from prison to help him break in. Wouldn't that be a cool movie? <laughs> oh, that'd be so, that'd be so cool, man. They should make that movie. <laughs> oh, they did. And it was called The Rock. And yes, Michael Bay has confirmed that that is really what he was going for. <laughs> that is the only Michael Bay movie that yep. I like. Oh, yeah. You know, you watch that movie and you think, wow, this guy's got a a good career. And and look, you know, as far as Michael Bay is concerned, he himself, he's he's a millionaire. He made all those uh, Transformer movies, you know. They gave him millions upon millions and millions of money, I mean, dollars. And so, you know, it all paid off for him. Well, when it comes to Michael Bay, I'll defend bad boys. Bad Boys 1 and 2 were decent. Painting games fucking hilarious. Now, now, the only Michael Bay movie I've ever enjoyed is The Rock. Uh, I've tried, I've I've sat through so many Michael Bay movies just to be like, ah, thank goodness this app only costs me. Well, look how stacked The Rock is. You got uh, William Forsythe. You got Michael Bean. You got and uh, Ed Harris, Tony Todd, Ed Harris. That movie is stacked from top to bottom. <laughs> Are we just going to pretend Nicholas Cage isn't in there? Oh, Nicholas Cage no, is great in Nicholas, it. He's great in it. He's absolutely oh, great. Well, okay. And All Nicholas right. Cage is the back. only one who gets who in movie history ever gets a burn. On John Connery. Yeah. I did my best. Losers who did their best go home. Mm-hmm. Winners go home and fuck the prom queen. I'm engaged <laughs> to the fucking prom queen. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna take. I'm gonna take back my original statement. I also love Con Air. So there are two yeah, Michael yeah. Bay. There are two Michael Bay movies that I love. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Conair Con is pretty good. 
but Sean, uh, but how? But I would rather have funny. The Rock as the final James Bond film than Never Say Never Again. Yeah, true. Yeah. True, true, true. Right. I mean, it All was right. just one of those. Yeah. And, and now we're going to go talk about the worst film he did in the 90s, The Avengers. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was pretty bad. Even he wasn't good in this movie. <laughs> Maybe he was sick. I don't know. <laughs> there was nothing good about that movie, and I, I resent that because I love the actual, like, you know, 1960s version of the Avengers. Right. right. And I'm so offended by how terrible that yeah. movie was. I'm just like, yeah. on paper, it's great. Uma Thurman yeah. is Mrs. Peel. Okay, I can live with that. Yeah, uh, sounds good to me. Who was it that played uh, <clears throat> the other one? Ralphie. Ralph Ralphie. I can see yeah. that, but no, no. The only thing I yeah. enjoyed about that movie was seeing Uma Thurman dressed in head to toe tight leather. That that's it. That was all <laughs> I enjoyed about it. Yeah. <laughs> that was it. The rest of it, nope, didn't care. And then we got Entrapment, where the only thing that was good about that movie was Catherine Zeta-Jones' ass. I'm sorry. And she yeah. was in Black Leather, too. Yep. See? Now we're all, now we're all on the same page. See? <laughs> and Sean Connery hated that movie for the same reason that he caught shit from the critics. Why would I be screwing a girl as young as my granddaughter? Exactly. I remember that interview. I remember that. It's like, you know, she's beautiful, but. Yeah. 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 I I have a friend. I have a friend. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm almost 50, and I have friends my same age who are like, yo, man, I got – I hooked up with this girl the other night. She's like 23, and I'm like, gross. <laughs> oh, like, yeah. you know, just a point. If you just switch that just... about 20 years back, son, you'd be a pedophile. <laughs> there, man. Like, that is yeah. just gross, dude. <laughs> and then we have Finding Forrester, which... I like that movie. No. No. I think Nate said no. it the best, and I agreed with him. We liked okay, it better when it was called Goodwill Hunting. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it's basically a remake of Goodwill Hunting from the same director. Gus Van Zant directed uh, Goodwill Hunting. And then, what? A couple years later, he did Finding Forrester. It's, it, I don't know. It's terrible. I didn't like it. Well, here's, I liked the it. I enjoyed it, but it's yeah. not in my catalog. <laughs> okay. And then we have the movie that made him retire. Oh, God. But I like, um, okay, there are good things. I just watched this movie. 
like um, a couple weeks ago. This is why I watched it. Remember you were saying how overworked I am and all of that? And so I was really tired one night. I wanted to just watch a film that was kind of science fiction, kind of fantasy, could just, I could just melt into. And I chose that one. And that's why I like it. It's not written that well. Um, Sean Connery is a little bit slower, but he admits it. it's written into the script that, you know, he's Alan Quartermain and he's retired, okay? He doesn't really want to go out chasing all this stuff down. And he's got a lot of younger people around him that he wants to send out to do that stuff. And so I, I don't see it as, a you know, a terrible film. It's like popcorn, you know, film. It's the kind of film that I don't have to think about. There's action in it. It's got a cool submarine in it. You know, I'm going to roll with it. It's kind of cool. Let me put it this way. It's like taking Mona Lisa (laughs) and making it a black velvet paint by numbers painting. That's how much they changed and ruined it from the original book. Am I right, Nate? The the only, I, I agree that Sean Connery is the best thing about that movie. The only reason I don't like it is because I am a total comic book nerd and I'm a big fan of Alan Moore and the comic books that he writes and version of And I don't want to be that guy because, you know, um, growing up in Maine with my parents, uh, we, we were friends with Stephen King. And, you know, as a writer, uh, Stephen King gave me some advice one time that I always remember. He said, just because you write something and then someone makes a movie out of it doesn't take away from what you wrote. They, they're just doing their own version of it. And right. I agree with that 100%. I agree with that 100%. But when I do see a book that I love being made into a movie and I hate the movie, then I kind of, I, I can't let it go. I still kind of like, you know, just, just kind of make this of, a hard, hard arm, Nikki. Well, that's how okay. much they watered it down. All it's the like they watered down water. Of, <laughs> you know, I don't know the comics, and you know I'm a comic fan. And and uh, graphic novels and all of that have plenty of it. But I don't know this comic, okay? And so for me, for a person like me, this movie's fine. And I'm, what I'm going to say is that there are plenty of versions of Lord of, Lord of the Rings before the, the big spectacular films came out that I absolutely hate. I know those books, those novels, front and back, upside down. I know them. I've read them so many times I can quote from them. I know what page certain scenes are on, on all three, in all three books. Okay, so I understand the other um, feeling that, yeah, I won't watch that, that half cartoon, half live action Lord of the Rings and the cartoon cartoon Bilbo Baggins. That is just a piece of crap as far as I'm concerned. No, and I so, think the best ones are good. 
They actually no. used the book. I don't like I was them. I the Rankin Bass ones, not the Ralph Bakshi ones, but the ones made for TV with if I know John Houston funny. is Gandalf. You can't fight that casting. John Houston <laughs> is a perfect Gandalf. Okay. John Houston, I'll <laughs> go with it. Just like Nate said, he'll go with uh, um, uh, Sean Connery, yeah. okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, but I, I'm sorry. I, I'm not going with any of the uh, Lord of the Rings. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'll I'll go with the Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings, but uh, the cartoon versions I really have to kind of shy away from. But that's just me. Yeah. I like I I do like Bakshi. I like a lot of his stuff, and but his Lord of the Rings is just like skim milk. Like it, mm-hmm. it doesn't. That's because doesn't they didn't take, let him get to make his second half of the movie. Yeah. Right, it no, it's not just that. But it's not just that. I don't like his take on it. I don't like it at all. Yeah. And oh, so, I know. I don't like the rotoscoping much either. Yeah, 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 I know. It's not that. If everyone liked it, there'd be more, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. So, yeah. so um, I'm just saying that sadly, this film, if it's his that... last film for for a lot of people, this film is okay. Okay. Yeah, but if you look at his last few films, Finding Forrester, Entrapment, uh. You could tell that League of the it wasn't just the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. He was just right. really tired of playing Hollywood roles. Period. Right, he was just tired. He wanted to retire. He was look at all. You know, we were talking about how he. I I saw him in an interview, and he talked about this. He he worked his butt off from the mid fifties all the way up to the nineties and two thousands, right? Sometimes he did yeah. two or three films in eighteen months. Uh, he worked hard and he earned his retirement, and that's what he wanted to do. Now I think the Dragonheart was pretty good for him because until he really yeah, started he losing his voice, yeah, um, his voice. Um, as a voice actor, he continued to make some money. And so, um, you know, Dragonheart was, and then a couple of other commercials and, and so, but he wanted to retire and, you know, we, we all get tired. I want to retire in a couple of years, man. I'm tired. Yeah. <laughs> you remember those two movies, the Clint Eastwood's uh, blood work and the one where he uh, stole something yeah. from the White House. Yeah, the biggest yeah. fight he had in those movies is that making Laura Lenny his granddaughter. He had to fight to do that. They wanted to make her his love interest. He said no. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's good because, but and Sean Connery did the same thing. He didn't romance yeah, he the younger. To, uh, in yeah, he wanted to. He wanted to make Catherine Zeta Jones his granddaughter. He right, really did. right, right, and, and he was right that much. Yeah, well, he was right though. It might have been a better movie. Well, but, but think... that was the thing back then. I never understood it. When my age, I could still have a movie where I could date a twenty-year-old girl, and people would accept it. But if Vicky 
had a movie and she was dating a 20-year-old girl. Oh, my God, that's just disgusting. How could they do that? Right, right. So I'm 20, 20 years old is way too young for me. <laughs> and me, too. I'm 50, you know. Right. Yeah. Well, I know we're getting ready to sign off, um, but before we go, can we just take a minute to appreciate Sean Connery on Celebrity Jeopardy? Saturday Night Live. (laughs) Yeah. Come on. (laughs) That's always fun. Never gets old. I mean, I know they don't do it anymore. He could do drama. He could do uh, darker stuff. Like, The Name of the Rose is pretty much almost a horror film. And he carries it all the way. Yeah. Nope. Uh, Yeah. Well, he's going to be missed. I didn't want to mention it earlier, but I'll mention it now. The reason that F. Murray Abraham... uh, was pissed off at him. You remember Valentina, the the girl that uh, Christian Slater lost his cherry to on screen for real? No. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. yeah like, that was a, a real yeah, I have no thing. idea what you're she, talking about. Yeah. Oh, she played, she was the one who played the girl that he had that uh, Christian Slater had a sex scene with, and they actually, and she actually did seduce him on the set, and the director let her go with it. Well, F. Murray wanted to diddle her, and he was mad that he <laughs> did it. All right. Well, that's a disgusting way to end our podcast for tonight. <laughs> <laughs> but really, Sean Connery is one of the best. Even yeah. Yeah. He, films are still worth watching because of him. Yeah. Right. He will be missed. Um, my wife's about to get home from work in the next 10 minutes, and when she comes home, I think I'll slap her a couple times just to, you know, <laughs> in memoriam. <laughs> What are you talking about? If you slapped her, man, she would beat you over into the house. She would. She she could definitely beat the shit out of me if she really wanted to. <laughs> uh, I weighed 120 pounds uh, soaking wet. Yeah, she could beat the shit out of me if she wanted to. <laughs> but that's why I'm And what's your last word on Connery, Vicky? That, that, yeah. Well... I think that, uh, like I've said it uh, a lot tonight already, I just think that he was a really fine actor. I think that I love his work ethic. I uh, I love that he, he did lots of different things. So he ha- he left behind for us this huge filmography, right, from the 50s to the turn of the century. And there's all kinds of different genres. So you can go find him in uh, lots of different stories. And that's, that's I think, the mark of a, a great actor and a successful career. And I personally am just going to miss 
knowing that he's hanging out somewhere in the world, right? We're we're less yeah, I mean we're less without him here. And that's what makes me sad. And, and we uh, for all of us who are sci fi geeks, this is uh, in the show. This is gonna be a sad. The Phantom of the Movie, how many of them know, know both of y'all have to know who he was. With his big book. Uh, he was one of the first to write books on horror, sci fi. Oh, yeah. Phantom of the Movies, yeah. yeah. He still had his magazine going video scope. I think his wife yeah. said that they're still uh-huh. going to run it. Yeah. Phantom of the Video Scope. I still, I, I still went to Barnes & Noble. Even during the pandemic, I would go once a month to Barnes & Noble with my mask on and buy the new issue. Um, well, they were only doing four issues a year, but... Yeah, Phantom of the Video Scope gone, but not forgotten. If it hadn't been for him and Mike Weldon with Psychotronic, uh, I never would have found as many of the great movies that I found over my lifetime. So, yeah, yeah. not happy about that, but, you know. And that's... thank you, Vicky, for being on the show. You made it made it more fun oh well i have a lot of fun too thanks for letting me show up (laughs) i know i asked (laughs) letting you show up (laughs) well i did automatically get like 20 or 30 more hits on a show just for saying that vicky will be there I might even start saying vicky might be on the show so you better listen just so i can get those extra hits (laughs) <laughs> well, let's just plug it. Hey, we just did the cube. Watch the cube and listen to our um, our cube show. Yeah, and me and uh, Nate did uh, the W Halloween special. If you're an eighty kid, you need to listen to that one, right, Nate? Oh yeah, yeah. We we recorded our uh, Halloween stories. Uh, yeah, right over there on our. Uh, Blog Talk Radio. Yeah, yeah. Halloween story, too. Halloween story, yeah. That should be fun. Yeah. I listen to and it. I enjoy it. Thank <laughs> you, everybody, for listening, and there will always be more. Good night, everybody. Good night. Thanks for listening. going on. Thank you. I'm trying to find that. Here we go. Good night, everybody. That's it, man. Game over, man. It's game over. Open the circuit to the wave motion gun. Open the circuit. Let's see from pressure.
ship's energy is now in the wave motion gun. I doubt anyone here would recognize civic virtue if it reached up and bit you in the ass. Did I hurt your feelings? Well, Magneto's right. There's a war coming. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. You sure you're on the right side? Hasta la vista, baby.